Well, now would be a good time to turn back in that passage in Hebrews chapter 2 as we think about our mighty Christ together. And as we look at this passage this evening, I have 10 words for you to remember. Do you think you can remember 10 words this evening? Some of you are looking a bit uncertain. 10 words to remember this evening. Hopefully it won't be too difficult to remember these 10 words. The 10 words are, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's not too hard, is it? Remember those 10 words? Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. If you remember nothing else this evening, that would be a good thing for all of us to remember, that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That if you're a follower of Jesus today, he's not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. And that's not something I've just made up. It's something we find in God's word. We've heard it already. Nathaniel mentioned it at the beginning. We read it in God's word and we find it there from verse 11. We're told that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. The context of of that being said here, we're told that God is bringing many children to glory. He's bringing many children to share in eternal glory. And the way he's bringing many children to share in glory is through that suffering son of God. Verse 10, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. And then in verse 12, We get this quotation from the Old Testament. If you've got a a Bible with footnotes, it may tell you that it comes from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is, is a psalm that's perhaps best known for opening with words that Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's this psalm, Psalm 22. A psalm that goes on this journey from suffering and that feeling of God forsakenness through to deliverance and victory. At the end of the psalm, Jesus declares that victory. And who does he declare it to? Verse 12, I will tell of your name to my brothers, to his brothers and sisters. And he doesn't do it reluctantly. He doesn't do it ashamedly. He does it joyfully. And this evening I want us to think a bit about why that's such amazing news that Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. And to see why it's such amazing news, it might be helpful to think of a few reasons why it might be surprising news. Why it might be surprising that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And two reasons why it might be surprising that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. The first reason is this, that Jesus is majestic and glorious and we're not, we're weak and limited. But Jesus is majestic and glorious as the eternal son of God and we're weak, frail, limited humans. If you turn back a page or perhaps two pages in your Bible to the first chapter of Hebrews, here is how Jesus is introduced to us in this letter. 
from verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus. And who is this son? What is he like? He goes on, this son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's quite a description, isn't it? Of this one who's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the whole universe, all of it, by the word of his power, this majestic, glorious sun. So why would he want to be associated with little people like us? Put your hands up if you've had a phone call from Charles since he became king. Is anyone here? No, that surprises me. Actually, it doesn't surprise me at all. We wouldn't expect it, would we? We wouldn't expect King Charles III to have got in touch with any of us to phone us up because he's got a lot more, more prominent people to chat to and speak to and spend time with at the moment. A lot more prominent leaders and dignitaries and officials and all kind of thing. Well, if we wouldn't expect King Charles to phone us up, why should we expect the glorious king of the universe to want to associate with us? Next to his spectacular majesty, we're fairly unspectacular, that we are weak and we're limited and we're frail and we're just one tiny part of the whole universe. Why would we expect him to be associated with us? Yet the Bible tells us that he is happy to be associated with us and even more to call us brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? The majestic, glorious son of God. Here are we, weak, limited, frail humans. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, we're told in Hebrews 2, because he understands He understands what it's like to live in this world of weakness and frailty and limitation. But Jesus is the eternal son who came down from heaven, came down as a man. Here's how it's put in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, we're, we're flesh and blood. We use that term sometimes, don't we? We're, we're flesh and blood. Uh, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, shared in our flesh and blood existence. Some of you will know that it's now less than three months until Christmas. And at Christmas, one of the passages that you may hear read The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The wonder and the glory of Christmas. The word, the eternal word, the eternal son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And as we read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we see that the word really did become flesh and really did dwell among us. We see Jesus in the gospels getting thirsty, getting hungry, 
We see Jesus in the Gospels weeping. We see Jesus suffering, facing the pain of life in this world. Verse 17 puts it like this. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In every respect. When the son came down as a man, there wasn't some kind of negotiation where he said to the father, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be, become like them in that respect, but not that respect. No, he came down and was made like us in every respect. In our frailty and limitations. And so he understands. He understands what life among us is like. And so he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, even in our weakest, frailest moments. Even when we're lying in a hospital bed, not able to move for ourselves, needing to have people to lift us up out of bed, even then, the majestic, glorious son is not ashamed to call us a brother or a sister. Or when we're lying awake, in the middle of the night, with all those thoughts and worries about the week swirling around our minds, Jesus is not ashamed to call us a brother or a sister. Or when we're lying in bed at four o'clock in the afternoon because we're so exhausted by the day, well, Jesus is not ashamed to call us a brother or a sister. He understands. He understands. And he understands our, our struggles to trust God as well. Those struggles we experience of, of trusting God in a world where there's a lot of pain and a lot of challenge and a lot of suffering. This psalm that is quoted here in verse 12, Psalm 22, is a psalm that's often called a psalm of lament. A lot of the psalms are psalms of lament. They're psalms that lament the fact that things are not as they should be. That things are not as you might expect them to be. And the, as the psalm writers write and pray these psalms of lament, and as we join them in those words, we, we still trust God. That's why we come to him. But we recognise that sometimes trusting God is hard. Sometimes it can be hard, can't it, to make sense of this world? To make sense of God's work? in this world, to make sense of how our life is working out. Sometimes it can be hard, a struggle to trust God. It's what the Psalms of Lament show us. And Jesus understands that struggle, because when he came, he prayed those Psalms himself. And we could think about a really clear example we get in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus went to the cross, where he said these words, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. That's quite a statement, isn't it? My soul is very sorrowful, overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death, so weighed down with sorrow. And as he prayed in the garden, the prayer that Jesus prayed was a definite prayer of trust in his father. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. 
Jesus, the son, trusted his father, but there was real anguish there. His sweat, we're told, was like drops of blood on the ground. And he said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. So when we find it hard to trust, Jesus understands. And this Jesus is now in heaven, alive forever in heaven. And as we heard at the very beginning of our service, he's there ready to help us in all of our weaknesses and frailties. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help us as someone who's been through it before us. He doesn't look down on us from heaven with a kind of disappointment or frustration with us that we're not able to do more or that we're not coping better with the challenges of life. He doesn't look down at us with disappointment or frustration, but with patience and compassion and with brotherly love because he is our older brother. He's not ashamed to be given that name. So he's majestic and glorious and we're weak and limited and yet wonderfully he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. There's another reason why we might be surprised at the fact that Jesus is so happy to call us brothers and sisters. It's not just the fact that he's majestic and glorious and we're weak and limited, that's quite a big gap. It's the fact that he's sinless and we sin. That Jesus is completely without sin and we very much are not. <laughs> could flip over a few pages to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. And this is describing Jesus as our high priest. And Hebrews 7.26 we get these words. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. What kind of high priest do we have? What kind of high priest is Jesus? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So why would he want to be associated with us? Because we're quite away from that description, aren't we? Unholy guilty of sin, stained by that sin. That sin that lies in our past, that sin that continues to be a reality in our lives. All those ways that we fail to live as God commands us to live, as God created us to live. All those ways that we, we turn against the, the God who made us and who made everything that we enjoy. Those ways we turn away from him and want to do things our own way, that sin, that disobedience, that rebellion against God that we're all guilty of. And Jesus is happy to be associated with people like us who are guilty of that sin. And in fact, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And that could be hard to get our heads around because our sin can make us feel ashamed. 
whether it's our sin that lies in the past or whether it's our sin in the present, in our ongoing life as Christians, our sin can make us feel ashamed. If you think about our, our sin that lies in the past, those memories of things that we've done, whether things that we did before we came to know Jesus or since then, maybe some things that we still feel very deeply ashamed of, maybe certain things that haunt us as we think about what we did and we struggle to move on from. Well, this evening I want us to see that if we're trusting Jesus, we don't need to be haunted by that shame. Not because those things weren't shameful. Sin is always shameful. Sin is an offence against the perfect almighty God who made us. That's a shameful thing. But we don't need to be haunted by that shame because Jesus died to take our sin and shame. That's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus died to take our sin and shame. This is how the writer to the Hebrews puts it in verse 17. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. We saw that already. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And what's at the heart of that service? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is a, a long word that we probably don't use very much in everyday conversation. But what it means is that we are, we're all guilty of sin. All of us are guilty of sin. We've all disobeyed the God who made us. And because of that sin, we deserve to face God's anger. The right anger against our sin. The right anger of a perfect and holy and just God against our sin. We deserve to face God's anger, but there on the cross, Jesus took that on himself and took our sin and our shame on himself to make propitiation for our sins. So that sin is taken from us, that shame taken from us, and instead of facing God's anger forever, we know the joy of life in his presence forever. Jesus, who lived that sinless life, completely without sin, then died on the cross that sinner's death, dying in our place, so that burden of sin can be lifted from us, and we can be welcomed by God, and welcomed as children, welcomed into his household, welcomed by Jesus as brothers and sisters. So when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see our past sin and, and feel ashamed of us. He sees our sin nailed to the cross where he died. And he calls us brothers and sisters. Back on Friday, we had 60 year one children from the local primary school come down to our church. And we, they're learning about Christian celebrations at school. And we decided to tell them about Easter. And I know it's not Easter traditionally this time of year, but we thought that the events of Easter are things we celebrate all year round, if we know Jesus, aren't they? The death and the resurrection of Jesus. And as I was reading the story to the, the children, and one of my favourite moments in the Easter story is after Jesus has risen from the dead, and he gives a message to Mary to pass on to the disciples. These disciples, who had failed 
who'd run away when Jesus was arrested, who'd let him down at that most significant moment, who'd even denied Jesus, Peter saying three times, I don't know anything about him, I have nothing to do with him. And how does Jesus begin that message to his disciples? He says, go tell my brothers. I love that word. He doesn't say, go and tell those traitors who betrayed me and ran away from me, and I'm going to have a meeting with them and tell them what they should do. He doesn't even say, go and tell my disciples or my followers. But after they had failed and denied Jesus, well, he offers forgiveness and says, go tell my brothers. So Jesus is not ashamed of us because of our past sin. Well, what about our sin in the present? Those of us who know Jesus, we continue to get things wrong. We continue to sin. And maybe sometimes you think to yourself, oh, not again, Adam. I can't believe you've done that again. Why do you keep doing that? And that sin that continues in our lives can weigh us down and make us feel perhaps quite distant from God. But then we remember that Jesus died for those sins as well. <laughs> and when he died, he knew we would continue to mess up and disobey and get things wrong and have wrong priorities and attitudes. He knew that. He still died for us. He died for all of that sin. And his response, when we continue to stumble and fail and sin, his response is not condemnation. His response is mercy, grace, help. The end of chapter 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ready to help with that brotherly love. He's still concerned about the ongoing sin in our lives. He's still working to change us and to grow us and to teach us. He's not ashamed of us. He meets us with mercy and grace, ready to help. So although he's sinless and we are very much not sinless and we continue to sin, yet even so, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Now, There's one thing that I do need to say before we come to a close. As we think about sin and Jesus not being ashamed of us, the Bible does tell us that there is a sin that will lead to Jesus being ashamed of people. This is important for us to understand that there is a sin that will lead to Jesus being ashamed of people. These are words that he says in the Gospels. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels sobering words whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels now when he talks about people who are ashamed of him he's not talking about people who aren't always as bold in following jesus as we would like to be or should be that for all of us there are times when we're silent instead of speaking for him or when we're, we go along with sin rather than standing firm in obedience. That's true of all of us who are following Jesus. Now he's what he's talking about is people who 
persist in rejecting him now. Those who are ashamed of him and his words, those who persist in rejecting him now. Because he died to offer us forgiveness. If we refuse to come to him now, then we won't be forgiven. We won't be welcomed into that glorious eternity with him. He won't want his name to be associated with us forever. He won't call us brothers and sisters. We will be shut out from God's presence, the Bible warns us. This is my first time here. I don't know really anything much about any of you. And it could be that I'm speaking to someone this evening or maybe someone joining us online and you're someone, you've come to church but you haven't yet come to Jesus. And those are not the same thing. Coming to church is not the same as coming to Jesus. It may be that you've come to church and maybe come to church for many years. We haven't yet actually come to Jesus. You haven't come to put your trust in him. You haven't come to, to recognise him as Lord and Saviour. You haven't come to find that forgiveness that he offers. If there is you this evening, however you feel, and whatever you've done, Jesus is ready this evening to welcome you into his family. To walk with you as your heavenly brother through everything that lies ahead. To have his name associated with you forever. That you can come to Jesus even this evening even before leaving this building, to confess as we all need to confess that you have sinned, that all of us have sinned. To give thanks to Jesus that he died on the cross to take away our sin. To ask for his help to trust him and ask that he would work in you and help you to follow him through your life and to keep trusting in that forgiveness for all of your sin and all of your shame. And if we come to Jesus and trust in him now, then when he returns, as he will do soon, he will welcome us into a glorious, eternal home and he'll welcome us as brothers and sisters. And if you trust in Jesus now, well, then you can share the encouragement of those 10 words that hopefully you will remember this evening Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. There's no such thing as a child of God that Jesus is ashamed of. If we're born again into God's family, whatever our weaknesses, whatever our limitations, whatever our sins, Jesus is not ashamed to call us family, brothers and sisters. Good news for us this evening.